Welcome to the Invest with Clarity podcast, where you will learn how success in investing, as in life, is the result of absolute clarity. Mark Pearson of Nepsis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, shares his passion for portfolio management and commitment to transparency and communication to allow investors to fully understand what they own and why, bringing them to clarity in their investments. And now, here are your co-hosts, Matt Halloran and Mark Pearson. Hello and welcome to another Invest with Clarity podcast. I'm your host, Matt Haller, and joined, of course, by Chuck and Mark. Today, we are going to dive into buy, buy bonds. Now, for those of you who have been paying attention, which most of you have been, we've talked about bonds often, but not necessarily in the way that you might think that we've been talking about bonds. And we're going to continue that conversation today. And I'm going to turn this right over to Chuck because he's going to lead the show off. Matt, thank you. Always a pleasure to be with you. And Mark, we got a great one here today. It was interesting. Wait, Chuck. What? Aren't all our podcasts great? How about a really, really, really great one today? <laughs> you see the look of disappointment on his face, Matt. <laughs> you, you, he was getting ready you, to get on a roll, and was, I just oh, went he, pop. Yeah, he really was all ready to go, and you just totally interrupted that flow. So, Chuck, oh, what's I guess again? we can't present that we can't do the rewind button, right? So, Okay. All right. I'm sorry, Chuck. Go ahead. Yes, it's a great. That's okay. Well, as Mark and I were talking in the green room prior to actually going live here, we went back, Matt, in the annals of Nepsis Lore to get the title for this called Bye Bye Bonds. And when I told Mark, I said, don't you remember when you came up with this? It was like seven or eight years ago that we were whistling Dixie to bonds as kind of this legitimate asset class when you size it up versus stocks and it just simply isn't we're going to try to make the case today and we don't think in the near term and intermediate future unless the world changes that bonds are going to provide the risk reward that they had over the last 50 to 100 years so that's kind of the, the case we're going to make today how do you like that one i love it Matt okay. loves it too. He's shaking his head now before we begin let me let me make a couple of observational statements Okay. Certainly. First of all, common sense is uncommon. Common sense is uncommon. And I remember when the 10 year got down to 3%, then 2%, then 1%, and then a half a percent, how people thought bonds were a great buy, long-term investment. Right. We've never really lived in a world with a half a percent interest rates and money supply like we had from COVID. And people wanted to own an asset class, bonds, that, by the way, technically, in my opinion, a bond is not an asset, it's, it's a debt. Yep. And that means you are loaning money to someone. I'm probably stealing your thunder a little bit, but we'll get to that. No. But my point is that <clears throat> in 2014 or 15, when we completely exited bonds, and we've talked about the flaws and the fallacies of modern portfolio theory. Welcome to 2022 and the flaws of modern portfolio theory. And the idea that investing in great businesses long-term using recessions, i.e. volatility, to take advantage of buying more of those great businesses on sale become the foundational component of successful investing. Okay, there's my intro. Sorry, Chuck, go ahead. Well, it was a great intro because it leads in. Maybe we should set for the audience kind of the, the tone of 
definition or description of what really bonds are. I mean, if you, I was checking this out, Mark, ahead of time, certainly, you go to any generalized investment website, they're going to categorize bonds as investments. And you and I have always been the ill that they're really not. So I want to read you, this comes from Investopedia, which is kind of the Wikipedia version of investing online. And I think they do a decent job, but let's get, listen to the last piece here. It says, if you choose to invest in a company, there are two routes available to you. And you just mentioned an equity, right? Which is basically ownership, right? You're a part of a business. You're owning that whatever entity percentage is that you purchased. Yes, correct. And then it says, and debt known as bonds. But here's what it says. Bonds, all the while, are effectively loans where the investor, I put quotations around, is the creditor. So they're really not an investor. They're, they're kind of mishmashing, if that's a word, these two together. They're a lender. And, and there's nothing wrong with being a lender. It's just you have to know the risk that you're taking. And you right. have to understand over time what your expected rate of return is for that risk you're taking, right? Right. Now, remember, risk is relative. Exactly. So while everyone says own bonds, own bonds, the 10-year has been below 2% for how long? Great question. Now it's at three. But before it finally ran from, you know, basically a percent to 3% and, you know, overnight, how long was the bond at two? I can just stick with me a minute. How long was the bond at 2% or less? How many years? Yeah, so excellent point. So maybe let me answer it this way, okay? Because I, I did the research. You're going to love this, right? So the, the way that we should answer this is kind of what was the average yield in a given year? So that's, yep. I mean, take everyday bonds traded and you average what that, that closing yield was. So yep. we're going to go back to the year 2010, which yep. was the last year the average yield was below 3%, so either in the twos or less, I think is what you're getting. Yeah. So the average Since 2010. Yeah, 3.22 is what the average yield was in 2010. Every year going forward since then, the average yield has been in the twos or less. Okay. So I think that's what you and want, right? Since that period, what has inflation, average rate of inflation been <laughs> overall? Yeah, excellent point. So the average rate of inflation has been roughly 2.6% in okay. that time frame. So think okay. about that, right? Yep. So from a risk standpoint, since 2010 till now, what's been more risky, equities or bonds? Bonds have been, if you take it 150%. from- 150%. Right, well, you use the real right terminology, which is adjusted for inflation. You haven't even yep. earned that coupon rate after you've taken away the purchasing power. If you're, right? if you're averaging 2.6%, inflation's averaging 2.6%, you're actually, for the most part, losing purchasing power because the average rate of inflation at 2.6 is not the real inflation. Ooh. If you look at three of the biggest things that people spend money on, number one, house, number two, medical, right? You got and, it. Yeah, and medical. And number three, there's a host of other things, but let's just call it energy. And People or food or education. Right. Let me go down the list. Vacation. Try to get a vacation right now. Let's talk about inflation. Now, everyone's talking about inflation right now because oil prices are up and everyone says oil is the root of all inflation. Do you know what I heard Dr. J say today during his Senate hearing? 
No, what did you the say? Policies that the Federal Reserve puts in place cannot control the price of energy. In other words, energy inflation is a separate inflational component to the world. The rest of the inflation that's going on, the policies they're trying to put in place, don't affect energy. And oh, by the way, you hear the stories about the energy needs and the lack of ability to get more refining capacity online and all these things. And energy's down big in the last three weeks. You're welcome for the hot tip of the day. Invest in great energy companies over time on a big pullback. I'm saying this rhetorically, talk, consult your financial advisor or your investment personnel for whether you should own energy stocks or not. There's your disclosure, Matt. At the end of the day, back to the bonds. Jeremy Siegel, we've talked about this before, has often says that most people don't even realize that bonds are higher risk than equities. As a matter of fact, for those listening to this podcast today, <clears throat> do you actually know where you've made the majority of your money in bonds in the last 30 years? I will bet you that less than 5% of the people listening to this podcast could actually tell you how they actually made money in bonds because it ain't by the coupon. That's my Chicago accent coming in there on coupon. Uh, I love the ain't too. <laughs> exactly. Did I tell you I got a D in English? That's I all right. I still can't write. Anyway, long story longer, uh, you've made the majority of your money in capital appreciation. As the value of bonds go down, uh, or, I'm sorry, the interest rate goes down, the value of your bonds go up. But as interest rates go up, the value of your bonds go down. Now, some geniuses will say, well, you can hold on to that bond for the next 10 years until it matures and you get your money back and you won't lose money. Yeah, but your bond's at 75 basis points. Inflation's at 7%. You really going to hold on to that bond for the next seven years to get your principal back? Or are you going to take the loss, go buy a bond that's got a lot higher yield on it and own that bond? So that strategy is flawed. And the problem is I'm on a soapbox today. Forgive me. You're uh, doing excellent. But here's the deal. I'm tired of people talking about how bonds are great investments, how they've looked at their portfolios and modern portfolio theory, like all these financial advisors, cookie cutter in their portfolios and owning bonds. By the way, what's the AGG down uh, year to day? AGG, by the way, is what, Chuck? It's the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index. It combines all government and corporate bonds. It's like the S&P 500 of the bond world. How much is that down year to date? It's down about 11.5%, and we're only through Ouch. six months of the year. That hurts. Just saying that. I got to. The reality is investors do not understand how they make money in bonds. They never have. And, and because, you know what? We keep going. Oh, you're, you're, oh, that's okay. Go ahead. I just wanted to, you opened up so many cans of worms that I wanted to talk about here on this. You're welcome. So thank you for doing it. So let's get back to the, let's get back to why Let my ADD kick in today. Would you for a little bit? I've been cooped up for a while. <laughs> You're on fuego, my man, as we say, right? Thank you. Which yes. I think is Spanish for on fire, but si. uh, <laughs> so here's what you did. You, you went back, let's go all the way back to the 1930s and the forties when people own bonds and you, they did what you said. They held them to maturity, and they typically earned about five and a half to six percent. They just stored them away, and they got the coupon kaching ka and below and below and below inflation, right? And below inflation, especially that started to rise in the fifties and the sixties. Yep. We had this onslaught of modern portfolio theory, and it wasn't really until Bill Gross of Pimco 
who we founded in 1971, great entrepreneur. He's had a couple of issues with things he's talked about in the past, but he was really the one that said, why don't we trade bonds? Like you said, we're going to buy a bond today and we're going to sell it in a fund within two to three years. And I'm going to buy another one and I'm going to continue to, to within this fund, manage it appropriately. And as interest rates waffled around, he was able to make some semblance of investing in bonds. But the key is to what you just said. A lot of people don't realize that you need a trader within inside of a fund to actually understand what they're doing with those bonds. And yeah. investors don't, and you need rates to be dropping, not rising for that portfolio manager to earn right. a rate of return, which well, they're not doing. Well, here's the other thing that bonds, bonds are typically a lot more difficult to purchase Yes. The average American. Absolutely. For high net worth. It's not as big because bonds are sold in big lots. Yes. So uh, it costs you a lot. You got to invest a lot of money to buy a particular bond per se. So the benefit of a bond fund, and for many, if you want to own bonds, is a fund because it pools the money together and makes it easier to buy large blocks of a, a particular bond at the same time, giving you the diversification uh, of, of the investment risk of the company that you're investing that bond in. Now, again, we invest in great business over time. I can't tell you guys, Matt, you, you will not, this will not surprise you either. I cannot tell you over the years how many advisors, and I've even had some of my own advisors in years past, question me on our more conservative portfolios, why we don't own bonds. And my response has always been, and will always be, I'm not going to invest in bonds if the risk versus reward scenario is not logical. Forget logical, let's just say common sense. If I buy a bond at 2%, what's the upside potential besides the 2% to go to a half a percent? We used to run those numbers. I don't know if you even remember that, Chuck. A 2% bond, if you bought it today, right. and it went down to a half a percent in the next two years, what was the real rate of return of that actual bond? Wasn't it like 5%, 4%, something like that? It was in this principle of convexity, which we're not going to get into, basically says when rates rise, the loss on bonds can be deeper than that increase in price when rates go down. Correct. And that's, and that's because you have to wait longer yes, you to do. own that right. bond to get to maturity. Right. People do not fundamentally understand the risks of owning bonds. And that's why we have always been a much bigger proponent of dividend stocks. And I'm not saying your whole portfolio in dividend stocks, but look, if a company goes belly up, oh, gee, you own the bond. That's great. When it goes belly up, not only are the equity shareholders messed up, so are the bond shareholders. So let's not kid ourselves that bonds really on the surface are less risky. I'm probably going to tick a lot of people off in the bond business who are going to say I'm completely wrong. about. What about muni bonds where I get tax savings? Hey, that's something to consider. It's legitimate, but not when bonds are at one, two or 3%. And look, Chuck, what do you, I mean, this is, we're not in the business of predicting, but let's not be surprised if over the next two to three years, the 10 year goes to four, five, 6%. Don't be surprised. And if you still own bonds, that's a problem.
And I'm not saying it's going to happen. What I am saying is know what you own and why you own it. Know what businesses you're investing in, whether it's debt or equity, and understand that the debt is not an investment. You are borrowing, you are loaning money out to somebody at a particular interest rate. And do you really want to be loaning money out right now uh, when interest rates are rising? No, I just don't. People don't even realize that they own bonds. A lot of people don't even realize what they own, period. Exceptionally well said. Think about this, Mark. You you talked about the risk factor, right? So I'm going to give you a couple of numbers here. I think you're going to love this. We went back 90 years, right? So go, I've got 1931, right? So that's 90 years ago. You would ask the common person on the street or even in our industry, in those 90 years, how many years did treasury bonds have a negative rate of return? So that's the 10-year treasury. So right. again, and I'm, I'm setting you up here because I don't expect anybody to know this, but the number, it, it's just under 20. So let's use the round number of 20. That means that every four and a half years of my, my math is correct, treasury bonds are going to have a negative rate of return. How many people would have thought that. They think this to be this strong ballast that's the anchor of my portfolio. No matter what happens to stocks, that the gamblers in the stock market, right? Yep. When treasuries, 10-year treasuries, have negative rates of return every four and a half years. That was startling even to me when I went back and did that research. Hey, let's go. I, I agree. But let's even take it a step further. <laughs> Why do corporations... For the most part, corporations, we're talking, not government. Why do corporations, for the most part, and this is a general statement, so I don't want to get hate mail on this, but why do corporations in general put bonds out there in the market? Why do they sell bonds? I think it's an excellent question. How about this as an answer? They're going to pay interest. Interest is an expense. Higher expenses bring down profits. And if you're trying to pay less tax in a given year, you may want to borrow money or even use that money yeah. to buy an investment that gives you a higher rate of return. If you're sapping, you have to do it. That's where I wanted you to go. Yeah. Most corporations who are solid financially issue bonds because it's what's referred to as the term cost of capital. Yes. And we've got lots of business owners who listen to our podcast. Every time I make an investment in Nepsis, I'm looking at the cost of capital and I'm looking at the return on the investment. I, my, my car guys, people, I, I buy, I do a lot of stuff on corporate debt. <laughs> Why wouldn't I? I can better get, I can get a better return on my capital by putting in the work and investing it in the business than what I pay on interest. It's that simple. So the question then becomes, if you're an investor, why do you ever really want to do a loan? Why do you want to buy a bond from somebody when they're basically, for the most part, saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to take your money and we're going to pay you 4% and then we're going to go make 8, 12, 15% on that money. Excuse me, I'd rather own the stock. <laughs> because <laughs> if they're making more well. money, I want to own the equity right? I'm going to get a greater return. I'm also going to have greater flexibility. I'm also going to have a greater opportunity to take volatility to leverage that capital so that I can make a rate, a greater return on my investment. But people for the most part own their bonds 
for because their financial advisor told them to. And the financial advisors buying bonds because modern portfolio theory told them to. And I'm saying I don't own bonds. I'm going to own businesses because I'd rather make a greater return on my investment longer term by owning the equity and not having the interest rate risk, especially when you are at the bottom of an interest rate range from 40 years, right? Is it 40 or 37, 38? It goes up every year. We say don't own bonds. I don't even know when the bull market and bonds started anymore. That's okay. Bear market is secular bear market, by the way, is officially underway for those who don't know what that means. Yeah, it's our belief, and it's it's a great point. So if you go way, way back in history, I'll give you a couple of points in times and, and some yields on Treasury. So 1948, we're coming out of World War II. We're in a mini depression. Interest rates on 10-year Treasuries are about 1.75. That was the former all-time low. They went from 1.75 all the way to 1981, where they peaked. Again, where the 10-year Treasury was just under 20%, let's say 18 and a half. Yep. Then rates went from 18 and a half in 1981 to 2020 when that 40 year bond market ended when those bonds yielding 10 10 year treasury 0.52%. So that's that secular bull market because bond rates went down, their value went up. So the big question you're raising right is what's next? And I think that's what all of our viewers hopefully want to capture from what. Yeah. I I mean, look at some of the yields on equities now and yes, stocks are people say, well, stocks are volatile. Guess what? Bonds are more volatile. You just don't see the volatility on a daily basis. Like you do with stocks. I, I, in some ways I kind of wish that investors didn't have the ability to like it was in the olden days, people would have to get their newspaper the Wall Street yes. Journal to look and see what a stock closed at the day before, which meant they didn't see any of the daily volatility that day. They just saw where it opened and where it closed. And frankly, that's where investors need to get back to. That's why back when our parents were investing, they were much longer term yes. holders of stocks. They didn't allow the emotional predisposition to control the decisions that they made. And then on the other hand of the table, we're running the people today that don't even flip and know what they own in their portfolio. They don't even know how many bonds, how many equities. They don't even know what the rate of return is in their portfolio. Talk about burying the talents. I mean, if you don't even know what your portfolio is doing, that's a whole other separate conversation. But at the end of the day, most people don't even realize what they own, why they own it, and the impact it can have them both in a positive way and a negative way as it pertains to their money longer term, hence the term invest with clarity. So as you look at a company like FedEx, this is not a solicitation or recommendation. I'm only bringing it up because the news came out recently. They doubled their dividend. Uh, they went to almost 3% on their dividend yield, which is what the 10 years at stocks trading at eight times earnings stocks down from 300 to 230, and it's FedEx is FedEx going to go belly up. No way. Probably not, but it could probably not. So let's say we hold the stock. We buy it at 300. It goes down to 230. company says we're going to double the dividend to 3%. 
and we're going to do this and that to bring shareholder value to our shareholders. And the stock trades at 230 at eight times earnings with a 3% dividend yield. Now let's say it goes down another 30%. Some would say, ouch. Well, why is it going down 30%? More than likely, it's probably because of emotional predisposition. And someone's predicting that, well, the company's not going to turn around for another year or two. Who cares? Are you going to try to predict the bottom of a value of a stock or a company's business? You can't. It's impossible. So if it goes down another 30% and the business really hasn't changed, what's that do to the dividend yield? Huh? The dividend yield just went up. And if it's down 30%, maybe it's a buying opportunity. That's the power of clarity, Chuck, right? It's the power of knowing what you own, why you want it, knowing the true valuation of the business you're investing in and having the flexibility to take advantage of buying more of those great businesses on sale. And that's the world we are living in right now. And people are hoping and praying that fly-by-nighters, just like in 2000, are going to come back. Guess what? Ain't going to happen. So that's going to go into our next podcast. Yes, it is. How about that, Chuckles? I put that right on the tee for you. You teed it up really nice. I was waiting. I was going to say we have to mention that that's what we're going to be talking about in our next podcast. We're going to get to something called the earnings yield, right? And why that's important. I wanted to just, could I say two things here? I know we're going to end up here, uh, wrap it up in a minute here. You, I love what you were talking about where people have no idea what they own and why they own. And it, it kind of, you think of today, hey, there's inflation. I know inflation or at least I think it hurts bonds. Maybe I should go out and buy tips. So I want to give you a couple of numbers. Tell on people this. So what, what a tip is. Tell people what a tip is. Treasury inflation protected security. So basically the U.S. Treasury issues a bond with a coupon today yes. at zero, but they will adjust that. They'll adjust not the coupon, but the principal based on the rate of inflation, the CPI. Designed to protect you from inflation. You got it. Yep. So here is the year-to-date return on tips, negative 5.5. And you would say to yourself, how could that possibly be? Here's why. You need to understand what you own and why you own it. The rate of inflation, yes, is up 8.6% on a year-over-year basis. But the price decrease in treasuries is greater than the rate of inflation. The price declines about 13% in those longer-term treasuries. So think about that. People said, I'm going to buy tips. They're down 5.45. Here's what tips but, are up over the last Chuck, five Chuck, years. Down only 5%. That's way better than the aggregate bond or the S&P 500. I've <laughs> lost a lot less money. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Well, what was the risk that I you took to that, get though. there? I just, it's incredible to me. So that was the one that I had to say. I want to tell you this too, because I want to, the buy buy bonds theme, I want to make sure our audience understands this. Because this was something Mark and I have been working together so long that I had to give him a big pat on the back for this one. So oh, gee, we went. Wow, thanks. I, you're, I know you may not even understand it because I ran these numbers today. So we went back to 2010. So we started kind of looking at bonds and trying to ask the question, OK, what's the next decade going to look like for bonds? We've just gotten through this. But I want you to just think about this, Mark. So. In the year, January 1st of 2010, right, that's 12 years ago, the 10-year treasury was 3.4%. Today, we're at 3.2%. Do you want to know what the return has been? This is a cumulative return on bonds. It's negative 7.7% 7 .7 
over the last 12 and a half years since you made the Bye Bye Bonds proclamation, the S&P is up 235%. That's the S&P, that that's not actively managed private businesses that you can own in addition to just what's in the large index. That was fascinating to me. So what that basically said is we've had oh, 12 hey, years. Real yeah, real quick. Right, Sorry, okay. Yeah, can no, go please, ahead. For the podcast purposes, can you please sort the, state the source of what that information came from so people know? Yeah, certainly. So I got this off of stockcharts.com and it's the rate of return of the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond from the first day of January of 2010 through yesterday. And that would be the same thing for the Standard & Poor's 500. Negative 7.77%. That's the cumulative rate of return over that period of time. Not annualized, but that's what you basically have lost 7% in bonds over 12 years. One, one more question. Yeah. I've noticed, of course, it's well known that one of the ways that banks make a lot of money is they take your money that they put in your checking account, savings account, money market account, whatever you call it, and they pay you a half a percent, 1%, 2%, right. you're lucky, whatever it is. <clears throat> and then Chuck, I'm sorry, can you tell me again, what do they go do with that money? <laughs> they go out and they lend that money, oh. but they charge their borrowers a much oh. higher rate of borrowing. So that's and what so they, they loan money. Yeah. Not like taking a bond, but a similar premise. Yes, it you is. Take capital, you loan it out to people at an interest rate under the belief that you are going to what make more money on the money you're lending out. Absolutely. They're borrowing our money, which is our deposits at one, and they're lending out at five or six. We call that yep. the net interest margin. It yep. sounds like owning financials in that type of environment may be a, a good well, Those stocks are getting hit too. I, yeah. Just for full disclosure, it's not to say that I wouldn't own bonds in the future. There are always extenuating circumstances. Uh, I, I've told my advisors for years, the only reasons why we will own bonds for the foreseeable future is for beta mitigation, i.e. reduction of volatility in the more conservative portfolios. Obviously, in growth portfolios, we don't own bonds. We usually don't. And, you know, there may come a day where we want to do that again in the conservative portfolios. But this is where it gets real important back on the whole idea of a separately managed account, i.e. an SMA, i.e. active management. Active management affords you the ability to make decisions based on what is happening on that day at that very specific time. It gives you greater clarity and insight to the impact of your portfolio longer term when you look at both top-down, bottom-up analysis of the investments you make. And from 2010 until today, and I still maintain this position, bonds are not worth the return you're going to get for the risk you're going to take, period. Amen. Can I, can I give you one reason why, Mark, why we believe the audience should know this, why we don't think that bond rates are going to rise high enough to yes. make them appealing versus equity? So here's a quote that I want everyone to, to think about. This came from the U.S. Treasury. For every trillion dollars the government borrows, a one basis point increase in interest rates, that's 0.01%, translates to an extra $100 million in annual borrowing costs. The days of bonds getting to be 5 6 7% would put such a heavy weight around the neck of the U.S. Treasury 
that it probably would cause them to not be able to meet the demands that they would have in their budget on an ongoing basis. Therefore, rates probably don't get above a certain amount. Who knows what that is, Mark, right? right. But at this point in time, maybe they settle in at three and a half to four. Yeah, those is, bonds have to run off. Yeah, you got it. So bonds have to run off. And that's what we're going to speak about in the next podcast is why we still believe equities in the earnings that they throw off and the dividends they pay are much more appealing than bonds are. All right. Let's end this podcast now, man. Any closing thoughts? And then we'll go, we'll, uh, we'll have the next one ready. Yeah. So, so uh, just, I'm giggling and I turned my mic off so I didn't interrupt you guys. It's just, I want everybody to just kind of think about this. You have to question conventional big thinking that you hear from everybody else. And that's really what the onus of this show is. If you really go back to the foundation of know what you own and why you own it, when you start asking the questions about why do I have bonds in my portfolio as a hedge against volatility, you have to ask different questions. You have to ask that one question, why is that here? And is it doing what I actually want the bond to do for me and my long-term investment things? If you over since 2010 are down seven and a half percent and the S and P is up over 230%, what are you doing? Like, it just seems like a really bad use of your investment, your money that you want to be it, able to hopefully. It's a hey man. It's easy. Sorry to interrupt you. It's easy. The reason why people won't know is because they sit down with their financial advisor and like the financial advisor, all they focus on is the bottom line is look how much better we did than the index. Look how much, look, you lost less money here than the index did or made money uh, over above the index. And usually in bonds, financial advisor will say, well, you don't have a hundred percent of your money in equities. How many people listen to this podcast, sat down with their advisor, and you've heard the, how great the equities market has done, and the advisor says, well, you don't have all your money in equities. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? So yeah. risk how much risk are you taking to get the returns you're getting? And yeah, more conservative portfolios are generally not going to make as much on an up market, even in our own client portfolios. They're more conservatively managed, even with equities. But at the end of the day, people don't even realize it because they're focused on the bottom line. And while that's important, then you should ask yourself, is your money doing the best it can? Are your investments doing the best they can? And I really wish more people would ask that question, which is the onus of the show, which is why you need to subscribe. You need to share this with your friends and family and make sure that you leave us a quick review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. So for Chuck and Mark, this is Matt Halloran. We'll see you on the other side of the mic. Very soon. The content discussed is for informational purposes only. It is not a solicitation or recommendation for any securities that may be mentioned herein. Advisory services offered through Nepsis Inc., an SEC registered investment advisor.